What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. We are doing a Giants-Bills preview. Be sure to hit the like button, subscribe, do all the good stuff, turn on post notifications so you know when a live stream pops or drops. Also, share this out. Five stars and have a podcast. Appreciate y'all coming back. Again, do all the good stuff. So, another week of Giants football, another game, another complicated game, and another patch of injuries, man. I mean, you thought last week was bad with the injuries. It seems like we're not going to have... Actually, no, we'll have one starter from week one on the offensive line, and he's not even going to be at his true position. And that's Ben Bredesen. I mean, maybe this is the last week it's worse. Maybe this is the last week it's worse because you got the Commanders, then you got the Jets, then you got obviously a three-game road trip, which is not great for us. Then you come back into Patriots, you have a bye, and then you move forward with that. But hopefully the trauma and suffering ends here. I know the season's over. At least that's my assumption. If fans want to believe, fans can believe. If fans want to tank, fans can root for the tank and all that sort of stuff. I'm staying in my own lane. I just know that this team is bad enough to lose games to where I don't have to root for them to lose. And Still, I would like to root for my team to win, but nonetheless, Tara Taylor is going to have a revenge game against the Buffalo Bills. He's going to be the starter. Daniel Jones out with a neck injury. And there's a lot of questions whether Daniel Jones will actually be coming back this year, how many games the neck injury is going to cost him. There's a lot of variables in the air. As for the Buffalo Bills, they are coming off of a loss against the um, Jacksonville Jaguars in London. So they are coming home, but they are coming home pissed off. They had a lot of opportunities against the Jaguars, but did not capitalize. Sounds like the Giants, except the Bills are a better team by many margins. So they're looking for a get-right game, kind of like Miami was against Buffalo. Buffalo is looking for a get-right game. I don't know who they play next week, but... I mean, why not get a get-right game against a team that's 1-4 and four and last in their division? So, that's that. Let's go <coughs> to the injury report. Daniel Jones out with the neck injury. Micah McFadden questionable with an ankle injury. He practiced the last two days on a limited note, but he also did not play last week. Aziz Ujolari out. I mean, he might as well be out for the rest of the season. You know what? Just put him on IR. Just put him on IR. I'll elevate O'Shane Zimenez. Elevate Taman Fox. Elevate any other edge rusher you have on the practice squad. Aziz Ojolari is a complete minus. It's a complete zero. Um, Matt Parrott is out. So add to the injuries on the offensive line with that one. Out with the shoulder injury. He came in for Josh Azudu after Azudu gave up the sack, which caused Daniel Jones' injury. Um, John Michael Schmitz is out in the second straight week. Andrew Thomas, he's out again. There's a lot of questions around Giants media as to whether he should actually go on the IR because this is going to be what? Game number five he's going to be missing? He missed the first game. Well, obviously part of the Cowboys game, but the first road game, uh, the 49er game, the Seahawks game, the Miami game, and now we're looking at game number five against Buffalo. Darren Waller is questionable with a groin injury. I'm sort of numb to the injuries, but I think Darren Waller will stick it out and play. It would be interesting to see if the Giants would run two tight end sets without Waller. 
I mean, Bellinger and Cager. Um, you move into the backfield. Gary Brightwell is questionable. He didn't practice on Thursday, but practiced on Friday with an ankle injury. Uh, Saquon Barkley, ankle injury too. He's also questionable. And then Shane Lemieux is questionable. What I do ask of the Giants is, personally me, if you want my opinion, I don't think the New York Giants should put Saquon Barkley out there. I don't. It's going to be a makeshift offensive line. You're likely calling up somebody from the practice squad, whether it's Gianni Kajusti or it's Justin Pugh or some other guy we're not even thinking of at this moment. But it's just, it doesn't seem like the right situation to put Saquon Barkley in. And maybe you wait till the trade deadline. I don't know. Maybe you wait till he's fully healthy, trade him or something like that. But these are options that the Giants are going to have to consider. As far as Gary Brightwell goes, I don't know for a fact. I don't think the Giants have a running back on the practice squad. Though I think that is the least of their concerns considering offensive line and quarterback injuries. So they don't have a running back on the practice squad. But they have a couple other positions that you know they need to worry about a little bit more. Um, DJ Davidson is questionable. He didn't practice the last day. Also, Evan Neal did not practice the last day, which was Friday. So those two are in doubt. I personally look would put DJ Davidson out and roll in Jordan Riley. Not that Davidson's done a terrible job, but Jordan Riley needs to get his reps. I mean, week one, he played well. We haven't seen him since. And Evan Neal, man, I mean, you know, I would like him to be out there because he has to still prove us wrong after the comments and just this whole play of the season. But, man, I mean, I don't know. Also, again, going back to the injuries I talked about earlier, I would not start Shane Lemieux. Do not do that because this is one of the best fronts, if not the best front in football. I know we talked about that week one with the Cowboys, but this team leads the NFL in sacks and pressure percentage. Um, they are not a unit to fuck around with. Let's just be completely fair with that. Marcus McKeithen, Adoree Jackson, and Jamie Gillen, they're all cleared to go, so that's a good thing. And Deontay Banks as well, along with Wondell Robinson and Cordell Flott. For the Bills, um, Dane Jackson is questionable. He was limited in Friday's practice, but did not practice two days in a row with a foot injury. Dalton Kincaid is questionable. He was in concussion protocol, and Dawson Knox is questionable with a wrist injury. Other than that, they're looking pretty healthy. Obviously, they've had some tough losses. Daquan Jones to IR. Matt Milano, he went to IR. He's basically out for the rest of the season. And Tredavious White, too. So, if the Giants were a legitimately healthy team and they had their shit together, for lack of better words, I would say they may actually take this game. But unfortunately, the way 2023 has started, uh, that's in doubt for right now. So the Giants, again, offensive categories, that's not where they rank the best. 32nd in total yards, 31st in passing offense, 23rd in rushing, 31st in points. Defense, 27th in total yards, 19th against the pass, 30th against the run, 29th in points. 7th in pass percentage, 26th in run percentage, 24th in pass percentage on first down, 15th in run percentage on first down. Third in blitz percentage, 22nd in pressure percentage, and 32nd in sacks. The Giants actually might be lower on the pressure percentage scale, but let's see if I'm correct on that. There are a pretty low category on there, so let's see. Pressure percentage. Yeah, the Giants are around 22nd, so that's, again, not a not a category you want to be last in. Um, and 32nd in sacks. The Giants have five sacks in five games, you know, a couple against Seattle and you know, 
all the others that follow. So the Bills, a very different story. They're 3-2, and two, lost to the Jets, lost to the Jaguars, two teams with the letter J. Can't think of anyone else at the moment that has a, a letter J at the front of the name in the NFL. But nonetheless, that's not the Giants. We don't spell it with a J. We spell it with a G. Anyway, completely irrelevant. I have to make some light of this. Fourth in total yards, fourth in passing offense, 16th in rushing offense, third in points per game. Defense, 12th in total yards, 9th against the pass, 25th against the run, and 6th in points, 15th in pass percentage, 18th in run percentage, 11th in pass percentage and run percentage on first down. So pretty even keeled on first down, a lot of different things. And then 23rd in blitz percentage, 1st in pressure percentage, and 1st in sacks. So they don't blitz a ton, and this is kind of going into things to look for. There was a lot of differences. There has been a lot of differences, I should say, so far in what Leslie Frazier did and what Sean McDermott did. Sean McDermott is the defensive coordinator slash head coach, and Leslie Frazier was the guy before him who was the defensive coordinator interviewed for the Giants job, but he was under Sean McDermott as defensive coordinator. Frazier decided to take a year off of football, and he is currently, I believe, on the NFL Network or some type of analyst. But anyway, the difference from what I'm hearing in Bill's land is that Leslie Frazier was much more of a laid-back type guy. Not much blitzing, not many aggressive fronts. And you look at the blitz percentage, it's not much. It's 23rd. But then again, too, you let your front four rush, which will get that in players to watch because there's a lot of guys with a lot of heavy sack numbers for the first five games of the season. But Sean McDermott is definitely putting a lot of different third down looks and third down rush packages out there. He's got more than enough guys. The one thing is though, and again, if the Giants offensive line wasn't banged up, I would put a little bit more emphasis on the secondary and also the linebacking core because they're pretty banged up. Obviously we mentioned Matt Milano, Tredavious White, Dane Jackson's questionable, so all that sort of stuff. So that's really what I'm looking for in terms of Buffalo on defense. They're going to try to get the Giants, and this is what they have done, the Giants offense. The Giants have gotten into a lot of second and third and longs. And the Giants, again, not a good offense this year. We know that. Have a backup in, have four out of five offensive linemen that did not start in week one. I'm just going off the assumption right now that Evan Neal is not playing, so if you get that reference, you get the reference. But, again, that's just where the Giants are going to be pigeonholed, and that's where you're going to see the different fronts. And even, you know, third and five, third and six. I mean, that's third and medium, which is better than third and nine, third and ten, but still, it's Giants offense, again, not very good. So you move forward to the other side of the ball with, the Giants, though, you take a look at the offense. One thing I'm looking for, and this is not necessarily something schematic, it's just player and position, possibly Justin Pewitt right tackle. Now, they did sign Yadni Kajusti, who is a former New England Patriots draft pick. I wouldn't start him, number one, because I'd probably value Pew a little higher. He's been here a little bit longer, not by much, but he's a veteran. He's better at his craft. Not that Kajusti is a bad guy, but I'd probably still lean Justin Pugh. And you know what? If something happens 
you probably swap him and go with him at guard at some spot, you know. Again, I would like the Giants to stay away from putting Shane Lemieux in the lineup. I mean, Jalen Mayfield wasn't good last week. Jalen Thomas wasn't good last week. The Giants are dealing with bare-bottom options right now. Hopefully, and this is not something that I think is going to happen right off the bat, if it does happen, I would like them to bring Lyle Collins in here and sign him and then get him up to speed. So maybe in a few weeks he actually starts playing uh, a decent amount of snaps for the New York Giants, however that goes, especially with this Andrew Thomas IR stuff, which is a little worrying, a little more than a little. But Justin Pugh, I'd start him at right tackle. I think the line, the way it looks right now, is Zudu, Glowinski, Bredesen, McKeithen, and then Justin Pugh. And normally I would say, look, if this was Glowinski or if someone else on the line, if you had an O-line that was at least semi-healthy, I would start Justin Pugh at guard because that's his natural position. Even though he draft, got drafted as a tackle, they moved him inside the guard, and he just ended up having a better career there. And you know what? I have to give credit to Justin Pugh on one thing. And, you know, obviously his first career, you know, the first few years of that, I should say, didn't really work out as a Giant. Some injuries, some inconsistent play. The Giants elected not to re-sign him in 2018. He's come in as a leader a little bit. You know, he talked about Evan Neal's comments like, yeah, you can't really say that and all these different things. And then talked about how it felt to be on a playoff team and also a couple of losing teams. So... You know, that's something that the Giants really need. And I get it. He's kind of a new face on the block for some of these cats. But I think they should really respect it because no one else is stepping up right now. I mean, Saquon, he's injured, so you're not going to get too much of anything there. Xavier McKinney is a total clown. So Justin Pugh is kind of stepping up. He's kind of the C without the C on the chest. Now, things to look for. Giants offensively, schematic-wise, there's a lot of different things that could go on. Obviously, the first thing that sticks out is quick game, right? Tyrod Taylor, much more of a quick game quarterback. Also, I would look... Now, they could obviously prepare for this this week. I would look to possibly run the football. Now, you're not going to go ground and pound because you don't have the offensive line to do it. And it's just not a good situation. But Brita, Eric Gray, I think, should get more snaps at running back. I don't think he should be the punt returner. I think he should get more snaps at running back. But, I mean, they did a solid job last week. Solid doesn't mean good. It doesn't mean great or spectacular. But the Buffalo run defense is ranked pretty badly. I would look to attack that. And then C with Tyrod Taylor because I have this somewhat insinuation. Now, I could be wrong on this. For some reason, I have a gut feeling that Tyrod is going to look maybe 2% better in this offense than Daniel Jones. Because I think Jones was a little bit more rattled. Not saying Tyrod won't be rattled. and He's got a higher sack percentage in his career than Daniel Jones does. He, early in his career, used to fall into a lot of sacks and take a lot of sacks and whatnot. He was at Buffalo and Los Angeles and so many other teams he played for. But I wouldn't be surprised if you see a couple of deep shots. I mean, number one... We saw that in the preseason with the Jalen Hyatt touchdown. Number two, I mean, what do you have to lose at this point? If you throw it deep and it's an interception, who gives a shit? A, the season's over. B, it's a punt, basically. So you really don't need to don't need to bring out Jamie Gillen. And again, what do you have to lose? 
what do you have to lose? And you get a pass interference penalty? Hey, listen, spot of the foul, first down, and you move the chains. And again, if the Giants can somewhat sync those two, running game, play action, Tyrod having some time to throw it deep or just get it out to the middle of the field, they're missing a lot of key players. Again, for the 50th time, Matt Milano, they're relying on Terrell Bernard, the second-year man out of Baylor to start, and then who the hell is going to start next to him? It's not a great set of options. It's Dorian Williams out of Tulane, and then I'm blanking on the other name right now. I have it on the depth chart here, Tyrell Dodson, who's not very good. And then if they have another linebacker available, it would be Tyler Matakiewicz, who's mostly a special teamer. So um, I think the Giants' offense has the potential to score maybe 14 to, let's say, 17 points in this game, but it's just a matter of where they're going to be, down in distance, the game situation, all that. So let's go to players to watch. Josh Allen, I mean, he is a bit of a turnover machine. He's got five interceptions on the year, which is the same as Russell Wilson, 11 touchdowns, about 1,407 yards on the season. He's got a good completion percentage at 73.1, but just a lot of stupid mistakes. I mean, he had three interceptions against the Jets. He had the one interception, which was a 50-50 ball last week to the Jaguars. I don't remember where the other interception came from, but you know he is prone to turnovers. I mean, I'm not going to sit here just because my team is bad and not say the facts about the other team. Josh Allen is a turnover-prone quarterback. Not to say that he's not talented. Of course he is. And this is why he's considered as one of the top quarterbacks in this league. Now you move to the rushing game. Of course, more emphasis has been put on the passing game. But I'm also just looking at this from a different angle. And we'll ask our guest, Tommy, to get a little more clarification. But I think the running game looks better this year than years past. Because you could always, you know... Go back in years past and say, oh, the Buffalo running game is, is not very good. You know, it's not good. But James Cook, he has a different light to him this year. Uh, Josh Allen is always good running the football. And then you got Latavius Murray and Damian Harris to back him up. So those are some solid backups if need be. But that's as far as the rushing game goes. The receiving game, Stefan Diggs, I mean, he gets frustrated with Josh Allen from time to time. But he's still an explosive threat. 520 yards, 5 touchdowns, 39 receptions. You also have Gabe Davis, 320 yards, 18 receptions, 4 touchdowns on the season. That's pretty damn good. James Cook has been good out of the backfield. Dalton Kincaid, we talked about him being questionable. He's yet to get an NFL touchdown. Dawson Knox has a touchdown on the season. Deontay Hardy, who has been featured more than people would expect. Um, you know, I didn't know much about him coming into the year. They obviously still got Khalil Shakir and Trent Sherfield, but Deontay Hardy's been their one of their slot receivers, and he's been moving in and out. He also can be featured in the backfield, so the Giants may be looking at that too when they're watching the film on these Buffalo Bills. Now, the expected O-line, to my knowledge, they don't have any injuries. It's Deion Dawkins, Connor McGovern, Mitch Morse, Osiris Torrance, and Spencer Brown, nine sacks, which is the ninth least sacks given up in the NFL, and they're a pretty good unit. Now, are they a unit that you look at and say they're like the Eagles or they're like the Cowboys? No, but they're a solid unit. They're, they can get you through a couple of games. But maybe if you go against an Eagles pass rush, 
they kind of get to you. You know, they they get to you. The offensive line will struggle. So, I mean, I'll look at these matchups later in the year to see if I'm correct on this theory I have. But it's a pretty good unit. It's a pretty good unit. They're serviceable. Serviceable is key. So, we move over to the defense, and the front is scary. I mean, you're talking about guys that scare the living shit out of you. So, let's start with A.J. Epineza. This guy was originally supposed to be a first-round talent, selected 57th overall, to my knowledge, in 2020. Not many expectations at points because of how low the production was. He's got three sacks on the season, five quarterback pressures, three quarterback hits, and six tackles. You add Von Miller back into the mix, so I believe this is his second week back. 2023, he's only got one tackle thus far, but as they ramp him up, and the pressure's not even too much there because they have multiple guys that get to the passer. He had eight sacks in 2022, 10 tackles for a loss, 12 quarterback hits, 21 tackles, and 27 quarterback rushers. You look at Ed Oliver, who's been in this league for a while now, four sacks, nine tackles for a loss, nine quarterback hits, 20 four tackles and 10 quarterback pressures. And then you get to the next two guys, it gets even scarier. Gregory Rousseau, who a lot of people were calling, oh, he's a raw prospect. Oh, he's not going to amount to anything. This was a 2021 draft. And he's amounted to something all right. I mean, he's had some solid production of the first two years of his career. In five games thus far, he's got three sacks, nine tackles, four tackles for a loss, four quarterback hits, and seven quarterback pressures. And then you look at the last guy, Leonard Floyd, who came over... Obviously, Von Miller was hurt, so he filled a large void. But, again, they just have so many guys that can rush the passer. It's not even funny. And they get their fair share of playing time, too. Floyd on the season, five and a half sacks, 12 tackles, three tackles for loss, nine quarterback hits, and 10 quarterback pressures. Now, you start to move to the weaknesses of the defense a little bit. Terrell Bernard, he's going to get the starting job at linebacker now that Matt Milano is gone. And Bernard has had a good season thus far. There's no doubt about that. Second-year man out of Baylor. He picked off Zach Wilson in week one, I believe. Uh, he's got another interception on the season added to that as well. So he's really getting his fair share of plays. He's got two sacks, four quarterback pressures, 45 tackles thus far, two quarterback hits, two tackles for loss. So Sean McDermott is sending blitzes. I do expect Terrell Bernard to be a part of that package. As long as they have somebody in the middle of the field, whether it's a short yarder situation or it's like a third and ten, just to spy on Tyrod Taylor or at least just to follow his eyes, whether it's a zone coverage or something like that. But Bernard, uh, he's a pretty good player. He's a pretty good player. He's really stepped up. He's not. He's, he's nowhere near the level Matt Milano was, but... Trust me, he's he's better than most would anticipate. Micah Hyde is also there on the defensive side of the ball. 23 tackles thus far. He's got two picks on the season. Two pass deflections. Um, no tackles for loss just yet. In coverage, he's got a solid passer rating at 83.3. Not the prototypical coverage safety. 76.9 completion percentage. 97 yards given up. So again, not bad. Played only two games last year, and he's a veteran in this league. He's been with a couple of different teams, well, only Buffalo and Green Bay. And we know what happened with Green Bay, right? They beat us in the playoffs in 2016. But you move to the secondary, really the corner room. 
Taron Johnson, he's been there for so many years now. He's their slot guy. No touchdowns given up. Uh, he gave up seven last year, so that's a little tough on his end. But 79 passer rating given up this far, 77 yards. A 66.7 completion percentage, no interceptions this season. Also 16 tackles. Now you move to Dane Jackson. Um, 16 tackles on the season. A passer rating of 131.2, so that's not very good. One touchdown. One game started, five games total, no interceptions, 83.3 completion percentage, 106 yards. So, again, that's where the vulnerability comes in. If the Giants were a top offense in this league, or at least they were solid or average, you could say, okay, we got to go out, and they're probably still going to come out with the game plan if we got to attack the secondary. But, man, this secondary does have some weaknesses. And you move to Kyrie Alam, who's only played one game this year, healthy scratch in a couple of games, but due to the injury to Tredavious White, they've had to throw him in the mix. 66.7 completion percentage allowed. No touchdowns, 93 yards, also 100.7 passer rating. So before we go to top matchups, I do want to bring out our sponsor, which is SeatGeek. And folks, if you're going to a concert, if you're going to MetLife Stadium, if you're going anywhere for a ball game and also if you need parking passes too they work for that get $20 off your entire order with the promo code big blue in the Bronx the name of the podcast the name of the YouTube channel as well so now we go into top matchups and I'm looking at a couple of different ones for this game and of course to the eye it's not this game that the Giants are going to be close in primetime Sunday night football, but um, there's good. There's a couple of matchups I have my eye on. I'm not going to lie. Evan Neal and or Justin Pugh versus Leonard Floyd and AJ Epineza. If Evan Neal comes in, it's less, <clears throat> excuse me, it's less valuable if Justin Pugh's in the game at right tackle, but you would like to see how he fares against some of these guys. It's not the first time in the league that he's probably facing top pass rushers a veteran of 10 plus years and then Evan Neal if he plays is he going to be at 100% enough he didn't practice on Friday and as far as that goes how much is he going to improve against top pass rushers once again drafted seventh overall last year way way low on the bar in terms of expectations because of how he started the year now I'm looking at Giants wide receivers versus Kyrie Alam and really this secondary because I mentioned the weakness, right? Taron Johnson is probably their best receiver, uh, their best receiver, best corner right now in terms of statistics. But there has to be a reason as to why Kerry Lam was not in the first few games as a healthy scratch. If he's got some weaknesses, and maybe they could see that through the preseason um, tape or something like that. If they gotta, they gotta, they gotta study on that. The Giants' wide receiver room has to study on that. Mike Grow and all them. And I think someone who could possibly have a solid role this game, and maybe I'm getting this from the preseason way too much, is Jalen Hyatt. He wasn't involved last game, wasn't involved much against Seattle. I know Darius Slayton's in there, and you got all these different guys factoring in and out. Not too many injuries to the wide receiver room. But man, you got to get Hyatt involved. You got to get Hyatt involved because if you have him or Slayton involved, and they beat Elam or they are forced to have like some sort of bracketed coverage, 
it opens up many other areas for Giants receivers to get open, and obviously Tyrod Taylor will have time to throw to them. Maybe it's a second or two. Jordan Poyer or Micah Hyde versus Darren Waller. Hyde has been better than Poyer this year, but again, I would like to see who goes up against Darren Waller. And if Darren Waller could get involved in this offense a little bit more, obviously last game he was involved a bunch. Dexter Lawrence versus Mitch Morrison Osiris Torrance. He has yet to get a sack this season. Wasn't very impactful last game, but he's been impactful for most of the season. Uh, mostly getting double teamed and just, you know, trying to wave through those double teams and the quarterback hits and the pressures and whatnot. I still think he's playing at a solid level, but if he's not given the double team of Mitch Morse and Osiris Torrance, at least one of them, you know, Mitch Morse is a solid center in this league. Osiris Torrance is a rookie. Uh, when he came out of college, he was a guy that was mostly refined in his run blocking, not his pass blocking. You move to the other side of the football for the Giants. It's Kayvon Thibodeau versus Spencer Brown and Deion Dawkins. Again, Giants will probably have to do something in terms of a pass rush. Uh, Jihad Ward and Boogie Basham really can't rush the passer. But uh, Kayvon Thibodeau versus Deion Dawkins. And even then, like Dawkins, he draws a lot of penalties. He's still a solid tackle. Spencer Brown taken out of Iowa a few years ago. I would like Thibodeau to win some of those matchups. And sure, he's got you know a couple of sacks over the last few games. He leads the Giants, leads the Giants with four. Uh, I would like him to play better against the run and just an overall impact player. But, again, he's got to win some of those matchups, if not most of them. And then you move to the secondary type of oriented matchups. Dory Jackson versus Stephon Diggs. Uh, Gabriel Davis versus Deontay Banks. I think that's going to be one of the bigger tests we see. I know Debo got his fair share against Deontay Banks and then obviously the Ronnie Bell touchdown all that. But Banks has played well. He's played well. He's answered the bell. All that sort of different stuff. So this is going to be a test, especially with Josh Allen, a quarterback. And you know what? Gabriel Davis is in there, and Deontay Banks is against him. Or if Deontay Banks is against somebody else, and Josh Allen makes a mistake, listen, Deontay Banks, maybe first a career interception, maybe. And then also I'm looking at this matchup, Cordell Flott versus Deontay Hardy. Now, Hardy's not some game-breaking slot-wide receiver. We know this. Buffalo Bills fans know this. But Flott has played well over the last two games. He got more snaps against the... What was it? It was against the Seahawks, and then he got more against the Dolphins. I think it's a little overrated that a lot of people are saying, oh, he can't play in the slot. He only plays on the outside. I was sort of for that opinion before, but, I mean, he played a, a good game against Miami other than a missed tackle or two, and he was on Tyreek Hill, and he kept up with him in terms of speed. So, it, you know, the Giants need corners right now that can play. And not give up the big play. So I think Cordell Flock can do that. He could play outside. He could play in the slot. Again, it's about asset management and schematics. Asset management, this guy was drafted in the third round last year. I get it. They wanted to come out with the Trey Hawkins hype train, but he's not ready. He's just clearly not ready. So keys to win. Let's go to that before we go to a score prediction and then the discussion. So keys to win. I'm giving you four. And the first two are really one. Number one, get some turnovers. Josh Allen, turnover-prone quarterback. Is he like Nathan Peterman? No. He's obviously a top-talented quarterback in this league. But he can throw interceptions. He can throw interceptions. We know that. He can also fumble. I mean, he did it against the Jets. Turnovers. Get some turnovers. And number two, which is 
pretty much 1B, score on those turnovers. Other than the pick six, the Giants scored three points off of two turnovers. I mean, the Giants were literally set up at the 20-yard line with the Okereke pick. But guess what? They only scored a field goal off of that. They couldn't execute because they had, you know, a negative play, a false start, or whatever the case was, and boom, they just had to settle for a field goal. Don't do that this game. If you're trying to win, of course. Uh, number three, which is really number two, run the football. That's going to open up play action, in my opinion. Now, of course, maybe Terrell Bernard has another go-off game where he just plays really well. and Maybe some of these edge guys play well against the run, too. But I think that's going to open up play action this game. I think that's going to open up play action this game, and I'm usually a pass-first guy. But with Tyrod Taylor as the quarterback, I also wouldn't be too surprised if there's design runs. I also would be surprised in a way because you don't want to get Tyrod Taylor hurt. And Tommy DeVito is the backup quarterback. And number four is really number three, I guess. Don't let the explosive plays beat you. Josh Allen is an explosive quarterback. When there's no turnovers, he likes to get it to Stephon Diggs. He likes to get it to Gabe Davis. Those guys have nine combined touchdowns on the season. Obviously, factoring Kincaid and some of the other tight ends they got. But those two are the main targets. And again, whether you want to play Sidori with safety help on Diggs or you want to do Banks alone or Dory alone, just don't give up the explosive plays. Don't let the explosive plays be, because that's how it would get to a blowout. And also, protect the passer, but I know the Giants are not going to do a very good job at that. So a score prediction, I'm going to be a little weird here and take one point off of last week's score against the Dolphins, and I'm going to say the Bills win this at a 30-15 to score. I don't know... How the Giants will lose this game. I predict they will lose this game. I have to watch it on tape slash re-record. Whatever the case may be. Because I'm most likely going to be out. But um, as as far as that goes. Bills win 30-15. to 15, And the Giants I guess will try to get their hopes up against the Commanders. In week 7. And before we go to the interview with uh, Ronnie Eastham. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. I, and this is just a school thing, so it's not necessarily, you know, a, a channel thing. We haven't gotten that far yet, folks, but I was given uh, media credentials for a week. That was the Jets-Giants game that will be coming up in a few weeks that I will be, I was planning on going to that either way, but uh, I just wanted to shout that out. I already did it on Community Notes and also on Twitter, but uh, again, if you guys got questions in the realm of Week 8 before the game is over, I'm definitely going to be in that press conference room and, you know, if a beat reporter decides to not ask a certain question and maybe them they skip over a certain controversial question, put it on my Twitter, put it in the community notes, shove it in my face, and then uh, I'll ask that and maybe I'll get some video of it too. But I just wanted to shout that out. And also, folks, that wouldn't be possible without you guys because I know, yes, it's not a channel thing. It's more of a college type thing where they gave us the credentials. But, I mean, before I even got into, like, the college and – you know, all that sort of stuff with the, the TV stuff we're doing over there with the student-run TV station. It wouldn't be possible without you guys because this is where I started everything, you know. I could talk about the writing and stuff, but this is where it starts. So I just wanted to shout you guys out for being the most awesome fans and awesome supporters in the world. But uh, let's hand it over to the discussion with Ronnie Eastham, who covers the Buffalo Bills. I will put his channel and everything he does in the description. 
All right, so now we are on with Ronnie Eastham, who covers the Buffalo Bills for Buffalo Rumblings, which is part of the SB Nation podcast slash article network. Let's start with last week a little bit, Ronnie. What were your thoughts on what happened in London versus the Jaguars? And I didn't watch the whole game. I wanted to watch some highlights just to see what I could take away from it. And it seemed like the Bills didn't really capitalize on a lot of opportunities they were given by Jaguars' mistakes. Yeah, that's pretty much spot on. Uh, we had some guys on the defensive side, A.J. Epinesa specifically, Ed Oliver, that were making some plays, uh, you know, gave up some early points to the Jacksonville Jaguars, but then the defense kind of settled in, even with the injuries to Milano and um, uh, Daquan Jones. And they shut out the Jaguars for about two and a half quarters, but the Bills offense just could not get it together. The penalties, I don't know if the travel had anything to do with it. We'll never really fully understand that aspect of it. But, yeah, Buffalo had some opportunities in that game, and they just didn't capitalize. Right. And going into more of a, a Bills perspective uh, before we get to the, some preview questions for the week because we always like to get the other sides Um Perspective on a few things. So the narrative has been outside of Bills mania for the last few years that the Bills have lacked the true running game. Do you think the Bills finally have a good ground game this year? Do you think the perspective has changed now that they have James Cook in his second year? He's doing well. Josh Allen's always dangerous running the football. And then obviously with the backups and Latavius Murray and Damian Harris. I think they have a good running back room. Uh, for me, over the years, the biggest issue has been the offensive line. Uh, they just have not done well. It's always, you know, a weakness here or there somewhere. I do think Buffalo has probably the best offensive line this season than they've ever had in the McDermott era. So I think a lot of it hinges on that. And I'm not one of these that wants to see, you know, like the grounded panel. Like, you run the ball, it's fine. Just be efficient with it. Get, you know, four or five yards at a time. But Josh Allen is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So – that's what you're going to do. You're going to pass the ball, and that's what you should do. Uh, as far as the run game, the only other thing I would like to see is a little bit more of design Josh Allen runs. Most of his yardage comes from off script, scrambling around type plays, and I feel like the team has kind of gotten away from some, designing some runs for him, and I think that will help open up things a little bit more as well. It just gives you know defenses one more thing to have to worry about, which they really haven't had to lately. Right, and – Moving into the wide receiver room, we know about uh, Gabe Davis. We knew we know about Stephon Diggs. I didn't hear much of this name before week one, and we live-streamed this game, uh, Bill's Jets, on the channel, and one of the guys stuck out to me because he was used in a lot of different roles. Uh, that's Deontay Hardy, who signed with you guys uh, this past offseason. Beside being in the slot and also on the outside possibly a little bit, uh, Buffalo also used him in the backfield too on some trick plays and, you know, all the sorts of different roles. How do you think he's adapted to his new role? And do you like what Ken Dorsey has done with him? I'd like to see more. Uh, he has that speed that, you know, that game-changing speed. So I would definitely like to see more of that. We, we have seen Ken Dorsey kind of lining up receivers in the backfield a few times here and there. We've seen it with Stefan Diggs too, lining up back there. Uh, my... I guess my issue really with the whole slot position on the Bills is we've got Kalisha Kier who's sharing snaps in the at that spot. 
Uh, Deontay Hardy's doing it. We've seen Dalton Kincaid kind of move into that spot a couple of times. Uh, we've seen Trent Sherfield in that role. I would like to see the Bills maybe pick one guy and solidify that role with him so he can really develop in that role and learn it and, and grow in that position rather than constantly changing pieces in and out. Right. And you talked about Kincaid a little bit just there. He has yet to catch an NFL touchdown. Why do you think the Bills drafted him? Was he supposed to be a replacement for Knox? Was he supposed to be a guy that comes in and does a little bit more than Dawson Knox can? What are your thoughts on that? I think it was supposed to be just another weapon for Josh Allen. Um, I don't believe – if you look back at the Bills' history and then you look back at even Ken Dorsey's history, he does have a history with running that uh, 12 personnel and I think they wanted to do that last season. It just didn't quite work out. They didn't have the talent to do that. Quentin Morris is a good tight end, but he's not, uh, you know, he's not a game breaker like Dalton Kincaid is. So, and I just think that Dalton Kincaid is still kind of developing. He is still a rookie. Uh, rookie tight ends typically don't come out year one and explode. Um, I know what we see with Sam Laporta doing over there in Detroit, but I would argue in that situation, that's about all they got outside of him on my Sam Brown. Buffalo's got other weapons though. So um, it, we may not get Kincaid this week because he's still in concussion protocol. Last I heard, he was a limited participant in practice, but he's still in the protocol as of, I believe, yesterday. But um, I, I like Dawson Knox, too. I like them both. I would like to see both of them get a little bit more uh, targets uh, in the games, though. Right. And moving into the offensive line before we get to the offensive line room now i don't know how much you've heard out of giant land in your previews this week or your just general scope of the fan base or the team i want to get into somebody who used to be a coach on the bills and no i'm not talking about brian dable <laughs> i've been skeptical about this guy since last year and a ton of giant fans are catching on with the performance of the unit and i'm talking about bobby johnson who's your former line coach left yeah. for the giants job from what I heard from several Bills outlets is that a lot of Buffalo fans were not necessarily sad to see him go with Aaron Kramer coming in. What were your thoughts on Bobby Johnson while he was coaching the Bills offensive line? I think, again, kind of going back to what I was saying, the Bills have struggled with the offensive line in years past. I don't necessarily think that's uh, you know Johnson's fault. Uh, I just think they've been you know the wrong people. Uh, Roger Saffel last year was – that experiment did not work out that, you know, blew up in their face uh, in years past. They've tried to, you know, kind of fill in that interior, especially well, and then right tackle as well, where Spencer Brown's been the last couple of seasons. But um, it, again, I don't think it has anything. It's not a knock on Johnson whatsoever. I think it's more, a, more of a talent issue than anything. Okay. And then specifically going into the way your unit lo looks thus far, uh, ninth least sacks given up in the NFL. What do you think of the new additions thus far and how they played in specifically the interiors? You talked about Connor McGovern and Osiris Torrance. And when I was scouting Torrance, and it just seems like the main perception on him was coming out of college, his main strength was in the running game, which obviously the Bills do a lot more passing. What are your thoughts on how those two have played thus far? I love Osiris Torrance. <laughs> when he, uh, I was sitting here watching the draft that night, and I've never been more excited for the, a team to draft an offensive lineman in my life. Um, I, he's anchored the position. He has done an exceptional job. Uh, anybody who's followed the draft knows he didn't give up a single sack in his entire collegiate career, and so far 
knock on wood, he hasn't done in the NFL yet either. I'm sure at some point he will, but uh, he, I, I do see him long-term as an all pro. I, I do. I think he's that good. And with, on the other side with McGovern, he's done a good job as well. Um, those two guys have really solidified. I feel like the middle of that offensive line. And I think just as more as these five guys play together, uh, the better they're going to get. Spencer Brown is is taking some uh, leaps this year um, from where he was last year because he he struggled big time last season. He was one of the per PFF one of the worst right tackles in, in the game. And you ask any Bills Mafia fan, they wanted him out. <laughs> like Buffalo needs to bring in somebody and compete with him. Um, and, and but he's done well. And I don't know if that's. I think part of it is just his own personal development. But I also think when you have a couple of wink links on the offensive line, it affects the whole line. And I don't feel like they really have that glaring weakness this year. And it's allowed the younger players like Torrance and Spencer Brown to really focus on their role and develop in those roles. Right. And moving to the defensive side of the ball, I already have, again, a few answers from a couple of Bills fans and people who cover the Bills and whatnot. What are the, some of the key differences between what Leslie Frazier's defense looked like and what Sean McDermott's defense looks like now? Different looks, different moods. I heard supposedly that Leslie Frazier was a little bit more passive while uh, Sean McDermott is a little bit more aggressive. Now, of course, they haven't blitzed at the highest rate, but when you have how many stud pass rushers, you de- necessarily don't have to. But what's the yeah. difference between – uh, what happened the last few years with Leslie Frazier and then this year with Sean McDermott? Well, I, I mean, you just said it, basically. It's just the, the, the aggressive nature of McDermott is is the difference. Um, Leslie Frazier, he kind of grew up in that cover two philosophy. Ben, but don't break. I'm sure you've probably heard that referred to when it comes to the Bills defense. Uh, but I also think part of it, too, is just, again, the talent. Uh, the Bills defensive line is deep. Even with the Daquan Jones injury, we still got Tim Settle. We still got Jordan Phillips. We still got Puna Ford. All those guys are coming in. And I don't think they're quite the, the uh, pass rush, bring the, quite the pass rush that, that Jones did, but they can still occupy blocks. They're still going to be strong against their run. But um, across, you know, you got Leonard Floyd coming in here now. You got Gregory Rousseau in his third year. And, and I said this last year, well, during the summer, when Buffalo signed L. Oliver to an extension, a lot of Bills fans were not happy about that. They wanted to keep Edmonds versus Oliver. There was a lot of, you know, which one are we going to keep because we can't keep both. And um, when they made the decision to keep Oliver, I, I wrote about this during the summer, that I felt like McDermott had a plan for Oliver and his new defensive scheme, that he was going to use him differently than we, he was being used at before with Frazier. And – uh, I'm not tooting my horn here, but Oliver's having the best season of his career by far. Like he's, I believe he's number one, maybe number two, um, in, in total pressures from the defensive tackle position. And you're right, the team has not blitzed. I think they're second in blitz rate this year. Um, 21 sacks on the season, which I believe is right up at the top, maybe number one. So yeah, he he brings it. I think he uses more of the stunts and things like that, the more disguised what the front is doing as opposed to what Frazier did. But, you know, we love to see it. And I think for that reason, and with Miller coming back too, that uh, that this defensive line can absorb the loss of Daquan Jones and they will be okay going forward in that respect. Speaking of the defensive line and the pass rushers, I mean, this is just in a general emotional fan, but also kind of an evaluation thing. How good is it 
or I should say, I should say great to have four stud pass rushers plus an interior record at Oliver, like you just talked about, dominate opposing offenses. And what were your expectations for some of them coming into this year? Um, my expectations were that the t- that they would be good, like especially with uh, Leonard Floyd. We knew Von Miller was going to come back at some point. And the one thing that I was not expecting, to be honest, though, was AJ Epinesa. I even talked about maybe it's time to move on from him this this past summer, and uh, see maybe what Boogie Basham can bring to the team. Give him one more year, uh, but you know I was proven wrong. <laughs> you know, fortunately, honestly, like if you're going to be wrong, that's how you want to be wrong, right? Um, but yeah, AJ Epinesa has been great. Um, somebody we were doing our our podcast uh, last night, and somebody in our comments talked about on third third and obvious passing situations if we've got Gregory Rousseau, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, and A.J. Epinesa across that front four, um, that would be lights out. Because Rousseau – I'm sorry, Ed Oliver. Because Rousseau can play in the inside. He's done it before. Uh, he did a lot in college, so it's not foreign to him. So if you moved him down inside with the absence of Daquan Jones, Ed Oliver, uh, Floyd, Epinesa, Miller, um, that's a scary front four that would rival any any front in the NFL. Right, and – Moving to the linebacker position, I think you know where I'm going with this. Um, Matt yeah. Milano was a big loss for the Bills' defense because he was the Huge. middle of that defense. Um, with the departure of Tremaine Edmonds, he's no longer there. Uh, he's with the Chicago Bears. Though Terrell Bernard has really played well this year, from what I've seen from an outside perspective, but there are questions as far as the skill set and the talent level of the other linebackers, Dorian Williams, who's the rookie from Tulane, and also Tyrell Dodson. How much has the loss of Matt Milano's impact been felt, and how do you think it will factor in not only in this game but future games for Buffalo? I think this game will be a good test, as will next week. It's a good opportunity for the Bills to see what they have, especially with Dorian Williams. Uh, when he came into that game last week in place of Milano, he plays fast. He plays hard. He's aggressive. He, You can see the football instincts are there. Uh, it's just a matter of getting more time on the field. He missed, I believe, his three tackles in that game. Because of that, he ultimately got benched in favor of Terrell Dotson, who came in and he played well. The biggest key for me, yes, Matt Milano is a huge loss. He's one of the best linebackers in football. He's the heart and soul of that defense. But – to me, the linebacker position is almost like the running back position nowadays. It, if you're good up front and you can keep those linebackers clean, if you've got an athletic guy back there like we have with uh, with both Bernard and Dorian Williams, if you can keep them clean and allow them to go sideline to sideline and have, not have to deal with blockers and stuff, they can make plays. And, um, you know, we saw that a lot with Tremaine Edmonds was the biggest – I guess, complaint from fans with him was he could not get off blocks. He struggled with getting off blocks. Yes, he led the team in tackles, but they were oftentimes four or five yards downfield already. Uh, whereas with Bernard and Williams, they have those instincts. They 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 know where they're going. They can hit the holes. They can you know get in there and they can make some tackles and make some plays. So I don't want to downplay the loss to, to Milano. Obviously, this defense is far better with him, but I do think that this defense will still – be able to make some plays and, and uh, can still – I think they can still win a Super Bowl with the group they've got. Obviously, I still admire the defense all over. I mean, specifically the defensive line. Before we get to the secondary, though, 
statistically the Bills, I believe, are like 22nd or 23rd against the run. Is there a specific like thing that has contributed to that? Big plays. Um, they they do really well play after play after play, then bam, they get they get hit with a big one. Um, we saw that last week. They were doing a pretty good job against Travis Etienne. And then late in the game, and I think a lot of that has to do with just, you know, attrition of the defensive line with the injuries. Rousseau was out. Shaq Lawson was out. Daquan Jones went out. Von Miller was on a snap count. I think he only played like 19 snaps in the game. Didn't play at all in the second half. Um, and uh, McDermott brought a blitz on that. One of the few blitzes that he's done, he brought a blitz on that. And ETM broke free for, I think, like a 56-yard touchdown run, which essentially sealed the game at that point. But um, And we saw it uh, week one. Brees Hall, his first two carries of the game was like 106 yards right off the bat. He finished the game with like 121. So it's those big plays. If the Bills can just eliminate those big plays, I think this run defense can be solid. Uh, are they a top five unit defensively? And in that respect, I don't think so. But um, but they can be a top ten. They just they have to be more disciplined and, and prevent those big big runs. Moving to the secondary, another key loss for the Bills' defense was Tredavious White. That yeah. leaves Dane Jackson, who's questionable, Christian Benford, yep. Taron Johnson, who's the slot guy, and then Kyrie Lam, uh, which this morning I was scrolling through Twitter, and I, I think I saw you retweeted something where uh, Bills fan was like, I don't want to see Kyrie Lam take the field <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah. What is your confidence in their level of play, especially if the Giants could get the ball out quick? Now, of course, I'm – Giants offense is not good. I'll be, I'll be the first to tell you that. But obviously, this is a bit of a, a banged up unit. What are your What is yes. your confidence in their play, and why don't you guys want Kyrie Alam to see the field? <laughs> well, okay. He, first of all, if you go back to his rookie season when he comes in, he got beat out by a six round draft choice in in Benford. Right? He comes in, and then Benford got injured last season, missed the rest of the year. Elam had to play. And towards the latter part of the season, he started to play better. You could start to see that he was getting more comfortable. He even had a pick. I think it was in the Miami playoff game. And it was a you know good play where he was falling back and he had to kind of jump up a little bit. Um, so he comes into this year. The fan base is excited for him. Like, we got a first-round corner. Trey White's back. Poyer and Hyder back. I mean, this is, you know. And then he gets beat out by a sixth and seventh-round draft pick and Dane Jackson and, and Benford. At this point, I think it's become more of a confidence issue with Kyrie Elam. He has the skill set to do it, and he's always been more of a, a man press guy. Anyways, he's more of a physical uh, corner. He, he has always struggled in the zone. He even coming out of college, he didn't play a lot of zone in college. So that for that reason, it was kind of a questionable pick on from from being like a lot of the fans like, why are we we don't really run man very often? But I, I, these next two weeks. I think it could be huge for Kyrie Lum. If he can go out there, if he can play well, start to kind of build up that confidence, then maybe he can start to get back out there. But I think there's going to be a really short leash on him. Um, if he goes out there and he gets beat by the Giants receivers, <laughs> that's a problem. I mean, the Giants haven't really – they're not – name a receiver on that group that's explosive. They just don't have a number one guy. And if Kyrie struggles in that, it could be could be the end of – for him this season. I don't think the team necessarily will give up on him just yet. You know, we've seen guys in the past who struggle year one, year two. AJ Epines is an example. He never really got into it until later in his career. He's in his fourth season now. And now he's finally playing like the top pick that he was. Um, you know, so and another one is Wyatt Teller, who we did lose 
let him go early because of his struggles. And now he's one of the best guards in football. So I don't think they want to give up on Kyrie just yet, but he, he's got some proving to do. And if he doesn't perform well, then Jamarcus Ingram will probably get the call and get plugged in there. And then we'll see what he can do. Right. And then moving to further into the game preview from a fan standpoint, as well as an evaluation standpoint, whether it's position to position or player to player matchups, any matchups you're looking to uh, see for this game? I, I want to see the linebackers. I want to see how Dorian Williams performs. Um, I, like again, kind of, kind of the same situation with Kyrie Elam in this game this week, and then they play the Patriots next week. These are two weeks where those two guys, Williams and Elam, have an opportunity to really learn, gain some confidence, and and kind of build from. Um, you know, their, their careers going forward. And Elam played – or not Elam. Uh, Dorian Williams played well in preseason. So well, in fact, that a lot of fans wanted to see him at middle linebacker. This is before, of course, Terrell Bernard kind of took off. But um, I want to see him. I want to see Williams and how he does uh, in this. I'm not really too concerned about the, the defensive front. I, I believe the Giants have, I think, three starting linemen out this weekend. So I think the, the Bills are going to have a feast there. And – and if they do, then, like I said before, that should keep, uh, you know, Dorian Williams clean and give him opportunity to make some plays as well. Definitely got it right with the line. I mean, we only have one starter from week one most likely playing. So I would expect a, a big that's, Bills. Get right. Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> um, two X factors, one on defense and one on offense for the Bills on Sunday night. Um, I mean – can I go with the easy answer and say Josh Allen? <laughs> sure. I mean, this team is going to go as far as he goes. We saw week one with Josh Allen, uh, and he, you know, four turnovers in that game. Since then, he's only had two turnovers. Uh, if he continues to play like that, I, there's not too many teams that are going to beat the Bills. Um, if I went somewhere other than Josh Allen, I would say probably James Cook. Uh, I think he needs to kind of get that running game going again. Last week he finished negative yards, and that's with a five-yard carry on his first play of the game. So they need to get him rolling again, I think. And, and then on the defensive side, um, man, uh, let's go with uh, let's go with Puna Ford. I think we're gonna see how well he can sit in there and in place of Daquan Jones. And correct me if I'm wrong, but is I, I heard that Barkley's playing tomorrow? Is that accurate? It's it's been floated. It's no one has a consistent report, which is a problem. If you asked me, I don't think he should play. I know Dan Duggan said, who's uh, the big reporter for the Athletic for the Giants, he said he thinks that Barkley's not gonna play. So again, he's questionable. It's still up in the air. But if, in my opinion, I would lean towards him not playing. Okay. Well, I think in that case, I, I'm going to go with an edge. I, I'm going to go with A.J. Epinesa um, because Tyra Taylor, who I'm very familiar with, played three seasons with the Bills and helped Buffalo break that 17-year playoff drought. So he's kind of a godlike um, player in, in Buffalo. But um, he can get outside of the pocket. He's got some ability to scramble. And I think like what we saw last week with with the Jaguars, Etienne was eating up those, those edge runs. Um, Without Rousseau and without Shaq Lawson, probably two of our better run defenders in the game, they took advantage of that. So Epinesa came in. He had some batted passes. He, he harassed 
Lawrence. And I think that's what they're going to need to do today with or tomorrow with Tyrod Taylor because he can get outside the pocket. He can make plays off script. So containing him, I think, will be kind of a, you know, a little bit of a key there, especially without a Barkley. I could see them using Tyrod's legs a lot more in this one if Barkley's not playing. Yeah, definitely. And then from a fan evaluation standpoint, you're looking at the Giants, one offensive X factor and one defensive X factor. Um. Uh, on the offensive side, I do – I'm going to say the whole offensive line because they didn't play well last week. And uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, he can come in. He can he can make some plays. Um, I wrote an article yesterday uh, with a piece with him as part of it. But he's got four sacks on the season, but he's only got ten total pressures on the year, which isn't a whole heck of a lot. But he has the skills. He has the ability to kind of wreck an offensive line, and I think Buffalo needs to be careful with that. And so last week – Bills didn't give up any sacks, but they gave up a ton of pressure. Like Allen was was running a lot. And so I think to me, that's kind of an X factor. And, and, and even going into the season, I said that like if this offensive line, they don't even have to be a top five, just be above average. And I think this offense can, can fly on the defensive side of it. Um, X factor. We'll go with, I'm going to, I'll go with Elam. Cause if there's a wink link here, he's it potentially. And if the Giants can exploit that with Darius Slayton or Isaiah Hodgins or, you know, whoever lines up against him, then and they can make some plays on him, that could be a problem. Right. And before we get to the final score and wrap up, you mentioned somebody that, you know, a lot of Bills fans seem to like. Uh, that's Isaiah Hodgins. What were your thoughts on him when he was in Buffalo? Because it seems like he was the semi-fan favorite. Yeah, I think <sighs> – <laughs> Bills fans tend to fall in love with preseason players. <laughs> I we see it all the time. A, you know, a guy comes in, he has a good preseason, and I think with Bills because there were so many fans that wanted more weapons for Josh Allen because Gabe Davis didn't have the season a year ago that many expected him to have, and Bills fans just didn't feel like there was any there was a number two on this offense, and they thought you know Isaiah Hodgins, the unknown, he could be that guy, and. Uh, he did make some plays in the preseason, and we saw it even when he went to the Giants last year, and he he had some really good games for them last season. There was a lot of Bills fans out there. Yep, there's another mistake by Brandon Bean. I'll be the first to tell you that Bills fans, they're, they overreact a lot <laughs> to, to everything. Win or lose, good or bad, they overreact. Um, but, yeah, he's just kind of an unknown, and – the, the team was looking for number two. At least the fans felt like the team needed number two, and they thought that maybe Isaiah Hodgins could be that guy. Right. So, for this game, final score, if you don't have a final score, who's going to win in your opinion? Well, I did pick Buffalo, of course, to win it. We we do our, our Friday night show. It's a live show on YouTube, and we all do our score predictions. And Giants fans aren't going to like this, but I did say I said 31-6. to six. I, I just don't see – with the back of quarterback and so many injuries on that offensive line, and especially if Barkley doesn't play, I just, I just don't see how the Giants could really get anything going on the offensive side of the game, uh, of the ball. So, yeah, I went 31-6 to six, uh, with that. Okay, and then last but not least, where can people find you and your work? So we do the podcast uh, on Friday nights, uh, 7 o'clock Eastern, my co-host, uh, Mike and Casey. Uh, we do the live show again. It's on YouTube. You can also find the live show on both on Facebook. We do have a Facebook call, uh, Facebook page 
called um, at the mafia cast and I do writing. My writing is actually for fan sided though. So you can find the writing over Buffalo lowdown.com. And of course I post those articles oftentimes to, to, uh, to Twitter. All right. So we appreciate Ronnie coming on, taking the time out of his day. Thank you. See what Sunday night brings. I, I do have the bills winning, by the way, I think the score is going to be something like 30 to 15, but if 31 to six, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised the way this offense has performed, but again, everything for, Ronnie is in the description. That's where you can find him, the YouTube page, some of his articles and stuff like that. Like, comment, subscribe, do all the good stuff. Five stars on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate you guys, and we will see you next time.